Did anybody not get a high five? Hey, if you are if you are a kindergartner through twelfth grade, could you turn just to an adult around you? Could you throw out a couple of high fives to some adults? They, I'm sure they, you know, they weren't as comfortable as you would be. Just give somebody a high five if you would. Good. Well, if you got an airmail one, airmail it. There you go. Nice. Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys here today. Uh, for those of you visiting with us, I want to say a special welcome. Um, we know that you guys could be anywhere this morning, and so we want to say thank you guys for being here with us. We count it a pleasure and a joy that you're here. Um, for those of you who this is your church home, thank you for being here with us this morning. Um, I am excited that we get to welcome our kindergarten through fifth graders in. It uh, makes it a little bit more rowdy and a little bit more fun. Um, so if a kid starts kicking your chair or um, a drink spills, just show some grace. Um, you've been there and you've done that. So um, I uh, want to tell you a little bit about me. My name is Russ Bingham. I'm the family pastor here at Christ Church. Uh, I've been leading the family ministry for the last uh, almost six years, be six years in December. And uh, I love the local church. I, I love people, especially families. Um, I love family ministry. I love being able to lead the family ministry. Um, it's probably one of the most exciting things, I think, in the church. Um, obviously, uh, there's not really a, a lot of places that like, you can um, watch um, a preschooler uh, begin to discover uh, and begin to wonder about God's creation story. Um, there's not many other places in the church where you can also watch a third grader um, come to know Christ in a life-changing relationship with, with Jesus, or um, watch as a middle schooler, as no matter as weird or awkward or um, that they get, um, you get to actually see them begin to ask some real questions when really you're thinking, are you even alive? Are you listening to me? Um, especially high schoolers. I, I, love, I love working with high school students because um, as you watch a, a student grow up, um, it, it happens so fast where uh, a student... Um, becomes a senior in high school, and it won't be long until they're out on their own. Am I right, Nances? It happens so fast. And so it's such a joy to watch our, our high school students begin to own their faith, and, and not because they have to, because they choose to, not because it's mom and dads, not because they just go to church and it's something they do, but because it's something that they own. So I, I love watching them just begin to pursue and own their relationship with Christ. Um, I believe that uh, one of the most exciting things that a church can do is have a vibrant family ministry. Um, there's just something about it. When you throw some kids into service, there's just excitement in that, whether they're here helping lead worship or they're sitting next to you, kicking your chair, throwing a paper airplane, um, spilling their drink, whatever it might be. It's, we should really praise God for that um, because there are churches all over this country uh, that don't have uh, those little voices. They don't have um, the, the kids in the building. And so um, some of you are like, yeah, right. I've got an empty nest and I love life. Um, well, uh, I, I tell you, um, wait, wait a minute. This isn't right. I just noticed this. What's wrong with this? It is. It's upside down. What do we need to do about it? Can, can, does somebody see the need? Can somebody come and do that for me? Anybody want to run up and do it real quick? Let's see who beats it. Oh, Patrick Beckham. Let's see if Patrick Beckham will have applause. Thank you, Patrick. Nicely done. Patrick is a middle schooler. He is one of the coolest kids that I know. 
And uh, so thank you for that. Uh, Patrick, you may not have realized it, um, but Patrick actually uh, just helped us with our first point, and it's initiative. Uh, So throw that up on the screen. Initiative, seeing what needs to be done and doing it. If you did not get a bulletin when you came in, you're going to want one. I've got about 32 blanks, and I've got to get through it in about 22 minutes. So uh, if you did not get one, um, we can get one to you. Simply raise your hand. Um, but yeah, so initiative, seeing what needs to do, uh, be done and doing it. And initiative is actually what our kindergartners through fifth graders have been studying all month long uh, as they've been going through a particular book of the Bible we'll talk about here in just a minute. Um, their theme has been dirty jobs. Ready? Somebody's gotta do it. I think about jobs Raise your hand if you've ever seen something that needed to be done, and then you did it. Has anybody ever done that? Patrick, you just did. You're, you're, yep. Has anybody ever seen something that needed to be done, and you went and did it? Don't nod. Let me see a hand. Throw it up. There it is. Good. That's right. I think a husband just got slapped in the back of the head. Pay attention to the preacher. Listen to what he said. See a need, do it. Um, you know, all of us have to do some job sometimes. Raise your hand if you have to do homework. You got to do homework, man. Love homework. Raise your hand if you have to feed your pets. Like that's your, yeah. Okay. How many of you have to take out the trash? Yeah. How about cleaning your room? How about, how about waking up and going to work? Kids, just stay in school. Stay in school as long as you can. What are some other jobs that you had to do? What are some other jobs that you had to do but you may not want to do? Let me hear it. Fold laundry. Who said that? That is a great one. Amy, we just said amen. Yes. Do it, going grocery shopping. I love going grocery shopping. I walk down every single aisle, and I pick up the chocolate milk, the cookies, and all the chips. And Amy's like, this is not what I sent you for. You cannot go to the grocery store anymore. Yeah. Washing dishes, yeah. Um, my family grew up. My mom and dad are here. We grew up washing dishes by hand. Um, we had a dishwasher. I don't know why we did that. Um, maybe we could talk about that after I got married. Amy's like, what are you doing? Put him in the dishwasher. What's another one? Yeah. Cleaning the bathroom. Holy moly. How many of you have to clean the bathroom in your hands at your house? That is a dirty job. Absolutely. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. Whether you're vacuuming, dusting, doing the dishes, folding laundry, walking the dog, scooping the beet afterward. Um, listen, it is not an easy job, right? Those are dirty jobs, but somebody has got to do them. When we see something that is not the way that it should be, we have a choice to make. We can ignore it, pretend that it didn't exist. For example, if my podium had to have been flipped right side up, that would have been difficult to preach from. So thank you, Patrick. When we see a need that needs to be done, here's, here we have a choice. We can ignore it or pretend that it's not really there. Or we can take initiative and we can fix it. You know, that's something God's been doing for us from the start of time. He saw our greatest need, and he sent Jesus to meet it. He saw something that needed to be done, something that we couldn't do on our own, and he sent Jesus to do something about it, something only he could do. In fact, the Bible is full of stories about people who show initiative. And there's one guy who stands out from the rest. Well, we're not going to read through his entire story today. I do want to give you a glimpse into his life. We're going to spend a few minutes this morning talking about his story to help us understand today's message, which is titled, As We Go, Look, Share, and Obey. Does anybody know who I'm talking about? This is a softball pitch for kindergarten through fifth grade. Who am I talking about? Starts with an N. What is it? Be louder. 
I can't hear you. Nehemiah, that's right. It is Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah, um, it's a, a, it's a great story. Um, and if you would, let's go ahead and turn to the book of, any guesses? Nehemiah, good, you're with me, I'm proud. Okay, we're going to turn to the book of Nehemiah, um, and go ahead and turn to chapter 1. If anybody needs a Bible, we've got a, a couple of uh, adults and, and kids handing out Bibles for, for adults and for kiddos. Simply uh, raise your hand or make eye contact, throw something their way, get you one. Go ahead and be turning to Nehemiah chapter 1. As we're turning there to Nehemiah, it's okay to use the table of contents. Mine is page 602 if that helps. It shouldn't. Hey, let me pray for us and uh, we're going to jump in. Heavenly Father, uh, God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the privilege to stand before um, my brothers and sisters in Christ. I thank you for the opportunity to stand before maybe people who are seeking Jesus, maybe somebody who was invited here by somebody else. Um, Lord, I just, I pray, Lord, that today you would be honored. I pray that you would speak in and through the message today and that, God, as, as we hear your word, that it would change us from the inside out so that we would live in such a way that honors you this morning. God, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Amen. So Nehemiah, he's from Jerusalem, but he lived in a fort of Susa. It was located in Persia, and he had a pretty crazy job. His job was to be the cupbearer for the king, which really means that he simply uh, tasted the king's drink to make sure that it wasn't uh, poisonous. Um, Now, Nehemiah, um, as you might know, uh, is an incredible story because it's a story about faithfulness. And it's a story about responding. So some Jewish people at this time who'd been uh, exiled in the story, uh, they'd been allowed to return and rebuild the temple in Jerusalem uh, to honor God. Unfortunately, things were not going real well. Nehemiah, he had a brother named uh, Hanani. Say that with me. Ready? One, two, three. Hanani. There again. One, two, three. Hanani. That's a new name. If you got a friend that gets pregnant, tell them that's what they should name their kid. Hanani. He was one of the men who had gone back to check out Jerusalem to see how the building of the temple was going. And when he returned to Susa, he had said that some of the Israelites who had gone back to Jerusalem that were still there, but that the city was not doing good at all. I want to look at Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 3. Listen to what it says. And they said to me, this is me being Nehemiah, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. That's never a good sign. We got broken down walls, we got burned gates. Think about that for a minute. Why do you think that's a big deal? Why do you think they needed gates? Why do you think they needed a wall? Absolutely. People are going to attack them, right? People are going to attack. They had to have a, a gate or a wall to protect. But also, this was God's city. And so it was an embarrassment. They, they wanted God's city to be lifted up high, to be a, a place that was um, honoring to, to the Lord. It was supposed to be a beautiful place of worship. But now it was in ruins. And so not only that, people could attack. And the report was bad news for God's people. And if this were you, and you could do something about it, what would you do when you, when you heard word of something going bad, when you heard word that something like that had happened? If you were Nehemiah, what would you have done right away? Would you have begin to process a plan? How are we going to fix it? 
Begin to think about what materials are, materials are we going to need? How much money is it going to cost? Who are we going to get to help us? How many of you are that way? Like you see, a, you hear about a problem, you see a problem, you just immediately begin to think about how to fix it. All the men, raise your hand. Good. And some women, good. So listen, I, I, I love that because as we think about this, I want you to look at Nehemiah uh, chapters 4 through 10. And I want you to see how Nehemiah responds. So if you would, read along with me in chapter 1, verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept. And I mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord of God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ears be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We've acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. Verse nine, but if you return to me, And keep my commandments and you do them. Though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants, your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. I love how Nehemiah responds. He doesn't jump into action. He doesn't begin to process a plan or think what's best in his mind. He immediately cries out to God. He immediately stops and he mourns. And so as we think about that and we see Nehemiah's story, can you relate to that? You think about the storms and things that go on in your life. You think about the things that you come up against. Are you quick to to try to fix it? Are you quick to complain? Are you quick to ignore it and pretend that it's not there and hope that it goes away? Or are you like Nehemiah? Do you quickly fall to your knees and begin to weep and cry out and say, God, oh Lord my God, help me. Nehemiah was sad to hear that Jerusalem was in such terrible shape. He loved God and he wanted God's city to be strong and safe. Again, we read that he sat down and he cried, he wept, he mourned for days. He didn't eat any food and instead he prayed. But think about how he prayed. In humility, he asked God for help. He knew he could be honest with God about what he and his people needed and what they had done wrong. And he asked God to gather the people together like he had promised that he would do. And here's the incredible thing. The same God that did that for Nehemiah promises to do that for us too today. And just like Nehemiah, we need to know that we can always talk to God about anything. Think about it. Is your marriage struggling? Are you upset because you're not married? Do you have a, a grown child who has kind of fallen away? And you're angry that that's happened. You've done everything right. Are you stuck in your job? Are you worried about where you're going to go to college? Has your best friend broken your trust as you share something so intimate and secretive and they went out and stabbed you in the back? Are you anxious? Are you depressed? Are you lonely? Nehemiah knew that he could run to God because God would listen to him. And we have to know the exact same thing. 
Because here's the other incredible thing that God does. When we're honest with him, when we come to him sincerely, we ask for forgiveness when we mess up. When we sin against him, he's faithful to forgive us of our sin. But here's what we do. We hide. We ignore it. And rather than seeing what needs to be done and knowing what we should do, which is to run to our Father who's in heaven, who loves us, and quickly fall down before him and say, Oh, Lord, my God, would you please hear my prayer? I have sinned against you. Would you forgive your servant? 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we would confess, he would be faithful to forgive. So do you see it? Do you see how he prayed? He ran straight to God, didn't try to fix it on his own. He acknowledged who God was. He was dependent on God. He confessed sin. And then he asked for success. And check it out. Look how he asked for it. He asks for it as a servant. Recognizing where God is and who God is and who he is in the relationship. I love that prayer because it's honest and sincere. I know sometimes when I ask our students to pray, and and adults are this way too, sometimes there's a fear to pray because you feel like you don't know the right words. Especially, you know, if we were to say, um, you know, hey, Patrick Sr., can you come up and close us in prayer? Like, he he actually could probably kill it. But there might be somebody that comes up and, and they just struggle because they think that it's about talking to you. And it's not. It's about acknowledging our Father who's in heaven, we as his servants, that we want to do the will of the Father. And so we just come to him honestly and sincerely with genuineness, confessing our sin and then requesting what it is God lays on our heart. Look at verse 11. Look how he closes the prayer. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant. And to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. He simply acknowledges that God is the Lord of heaven and that he is his servant. And he asks God to give him success, whatever that looks like. He doesn't say, God, here's what I want it to be. He just says, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's literally what he's saying. I want to be successful so I can honor you. Not for me. Help me to be successful And then give me mercy in the sight of this man. This man being King Artaxerxes. You see, Nehemiah, he had a plan and it comes to life in chapter 2. And as much as I want to get into it, I can't today. I don't have the time. I thought about it. uh, But we have a a family Sunday fun day to go to after this. Um, And so as much as I want to get into it, I just, I wanted to give you a glimpse of this and just kind of give you kind of the foundation of where we're going to start to help you see what our students, have, excuse me, our children have been doing because I want to also piece together what our students have been doing this month and then what we've been talking about as a church and how I am incredibly in awe of how God has worked that out. So I tell you this, that Nehemiah, he knew that there was a problem in Jerusalem and he wasn't going to just sit around and be sad about it. Ultimately, he decides to pray and then he decides to approach the king asking God to give him mercy. In the way that he speaks to the king. 
and the way the king responds. He gave the king a drink, just as usual as he normally would in chapter 2. But the king could tell there was something really bothering him. I love this. Uh, he didn't go and, and like just like give the king his problems. He just was obedient what he was called to do. But in Nehemiah's faithfulness in the time leading up to that, his body language had changed. And so the king could tell there was something different. I love that because Nehemiah, he's being faithful. He knows there's something going on with his home. He knows he wants to go there, but he stays faithful where God has him. And I just, I want to just get this to you. Some of you this morning, you need to hear that God has you right where you, right where you are for a very finite, important, simple reason. And as much as you'd want to run or as much as you'd want to go and do something else, God is simply saying, be faithful and let me use you where you are. And I love that about this story. The king asked Nehemiah what he wanted. And Nehemiah, he prayed again, and he bravely asked the king to let him go to Jerusalem. He wanted to rebuild the city. He asked about uh, the king for some letters to give to people who were in charge uh, and who owned the land along the way so of where he'd be traveling. That way he could travel safely. But that wasn't all. Uh, the king honored his request, but he... Nehemiah also asked for another letter to the person who uh, owned the royal uh, park, the, the, uh, the forest. Because he knew he would be able to get the lumber that he would need for all the building that was about to come. So I love that. It wasn't that he went to the Lord with a plan and then asked the king, is this okay? He simply sought God's favor, asking God, what would you have me do? And then God spoke, he was obedient, he went to the king in humility, faithful, and asked the king when the king asked him. He just responded. That might not sound like a big thing to ask the king, but it was. You think about um, early on in my marriage, there were times that Amy would make a dinner, and I was hoping there'd be like a cupbearer or a food taster. Um, I know it. I'm not going to get in trouble for that. She knows it's true. Um, we lived down the street from Carrabba's, and that became our favorite restaurant. Um, we love Carrabba's. Uh, there were some things that she would make early on that, uh, you know, they weren't great. Um, so, um, <laughs> but could you imagine if, uh, could you imagine like a king who was like, he was dependent on Nehemiah. Nehemiah is asking to depart, to leave his role. That's a trusted position. That's a trusted role. And Nehemiah coming to ask basically puts the king at risk. But because of Nehemiah's faithfulness, the king says yes, but he doesn't stop there. Listen to what he does. Not only does he give him the letters, not only does he provide a way, but he also sends an army of officers and horsemen to travel with Nehemiah to help him stay safe along the way. You see, God had given Nehemiah everything that he needed, and now he's ready to tackle the biggest job of his life. Nehemiah, he took initiative. He saw what needed to be done, and he did it. He was faithful in his job as the cupbearer, but when something came up that needed to be done, he prayed, he looked for a way to do it, and he obeyed. And that's what we need to do as well. Instead of being asked to do something, every day we should be the people who using our eyes and our ears, we should look for things around us that need to be done. We should be asking God to help us to open our eyes, to see a need, and then have the courage to go meet the need. People should find out that if you're a Christian, that if you're a Christ follower, and not to run the other way because judgment's coming, 
They should find out that, oh, you're, you're a Christ follower. You're the exact person I need because I know that in humility that you're going to do everything that you can to help me because you love the way that God loves you unconditionally, not keeping score, not wanting anything in return. You simply are faithful in the times that God asks you and gives you the opportunity to just do something for someone else. But again, we have to ask God for that to see what needs to be done, and then to give us the courage that we need to do it. Here's some things that I learned from Nehemiah's story. If you want to jot these down, it's in the uh, insert. Look for what needs to be done. I I love these two words. I shared this with our students this morning. There's a difference between seeing and looking. Like, I can see all day long, but looking requires action. It requires action on my part that I'm being deliberate and looking for what needs to be done with the intent of doing something about it. Don't wait for someone else to do what needs to be done. Don't wait. Be the person who says, I'll come and flip the stand over for you. I'll come and help. I'll be there for you. I'll sacrifice what I have going on to help you because that's what Jesus did for us. That's what God did for us through Christ. He saw our need. He didn't wait. He saw our need and he made a way for us to be reconciled, to be made right with him. So don't wait for someone else to do what needs to be done. Nehemiah didn't, and neither should we. Don't wait for someone else to help people in need. Don't wait to help. Don't wait for someone else to help people in need. And then the last one, stay focused on what needs to be done. I I love this later in the story. There's a couple of times where um, Nehemiah uh, gets uh, basically... um, there's a, a, some guys there that don't like the fact that the city's being rebuilt. And so um, he, the guy, uh, the group initially mocks them. Like, what are you doing? You're not going to get this done. And then they begin to see that the wall is built. It gets halfway built, the, the Bible tells us. It's like chapter 5. And here's what happens. He begins to get nervous. The group begins to get nervous. And so he sends them letters. Come meet with me. Come, come talk with me. We need to talk. And Nehemiah says, I don't have time. I'm, I'm working on this. He sends four letters. And every time, Nehemiah doesn't lose his focus. He stays focused on what God has for him. And guys, listen, there are things that God calls us to. And man, squirrel, that's what happens. I'll tell you another way it happens. If you're a student, YouTube, Netflix, those are good things, squirrel. But if you're not careful, you lose your focus on what God's calling you to do. Here's how I see it in my life. Yesterday morning, I'm coaching flag football. Show up, and yes, I take it a little serious. <laughs> it's first and second graders. I take it a little serious. Um, I lost my temper. I threw my towel. Um, I was embarrassed. I had a coach, one of my assistant coaches came over, and he just, I love the way he did this. He just came over, he, he put his arm, he said, Coach, he said, what you did right there, I, what, that wasn't right. You can't lose your temper that way. Stay focused on what you're doing. You're not here to to win a fly football game. Who cares? (laughs) You're here to point first and second graders to what does it look like to love and to live for the Lord Jesus. You're to show character and integrity, not to worry about whether or not your first grader or second grader wins a fly football game. And man, I am so thankful that he didn't yell at me from across the field. Hey, right, coach. You can't do that, coach. And then storms off. I love the fact that he came over to me when I lost my focus. He came over to me and he was focused in how he handled it. And he did it in love. And some of you, 
you know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. God has talked to you. He's shown you what he wants you to do. And you are losing focus and you are allowing other things in life to get your attention, like winning or losing or acceptance or popularity. And instead of focusing on who God's called you to be, you're focusing on the wrong thing. And so I want to encourage you, stay focused on what needs to be done. And the only way you can do this, and this is the, the scripture for this point, is work at everything you do with your heart. With all your heart. Work as if you are working for the Lord. When my friend, my assistant coach came over and told me that, and I was just reminded, I told Amy I was embarrassed. And I apologized to our parents. I apologized to, uh, to our coaches and our players. And, you know... I, I just I think about the fact that we have to stay focused on what matters. And as you read through the book of Nehemiah, which again is exactly what our kindergarten through fifth graders have been doing this entire month, you're going to come to see that Nehemiah's story is really God's story. That Nehemiah's story is really God's story about how God works in and through his life, which leads us to point number two, that we all have a story to share. That we all have a story to share. Every Friday, I get to go and drop my kids off at school, and, and I work from a coffee shop. Um, and I have um, and I've loved my time there. I get to meet incredible people. Um, there's a, a guy named David who is a huge Mississippi State fan, and he, all he wants to talk about is tennis. Um, but he's such a great guy. I mean, we talk all the time. I talk with the employees. Um, I've become friends with them. Um, and we just encourage one another. I don't know if they even know that. They would, we've had conversations about real life situations, about real things. And in the midst of that, here's what I've done. I've just shared my story. I've not tried to preach. I've not tried to open my Bible and say, you got to do this. I share scripture with them and I encourage them. But it's just through conversation. It's sharing my story with someone else. And here's what's cool. Here's what's cool is when I do that with them, God always seems to show up bigger and better. He encourages me. I'm so thankful for that. You know, I don't share my story to be puffed up and say, look at what Russ did. I don't show up at the coffee shop and go home at the end of the day and tell Amy about all the spiritual conversations I had. I could, but that's not the reason. The reason I do it is because God... in his wisdom gave me the opportunity to go work from there on Fridays. I get all kinds of stuff done. Some of you are like, yeah, right, it's a coffee shop. But I do, and, and, and God still gives me opportunity to, to really, I look at that as a mission field in a lot of ways. And I just get to tell my story. So what's your mission field? Is it your neighborhood? Is it your club? Is it your team? Is it your, your team at work? Is it your homeroom? Is it the kids that you sit with at lunch? Where do you need to share your story? Because the truth is, your story matters. That's what we've been talking about this last month with our students. And I, I love this because our students have begun to think about, begun thinking about who they are, like where they are in their faith journey. And when, when they begin to think about it, they've got to take ownership of it. It can't be mom and dads anymore. It can't be the, the, you know, the family pastors anymore, the small group leaders. Like they've really got to look at themselves in the mirror and say, where am I in my relationship with Jesus? Because the truth is, we all have a story. Some of our story includes knowing Christ as our Savior. Some of, it, some of us don't. But your story is still the story of God working in your life. He's either pursuing you. He's either seeking after his creation. Or he's using you and working in your life for the good of those who love him. And called according to his purpose. So here's what we've learned. Number one, we've learned that your story matters. 
Your story matters because you matter to God. He created you and he desires a relationship with you. Therefore, he's, again, he's either pursuing you or he's working in and through you. Second, your story is God's story. Your story is God's story. Allow God to use your story to tell his. Every time we tell our story or our testimony, we give honor and glory to God and the work that he's done in through our lives. It's not about us. Your story, no matter how like crazy and spectacular or how simple it might be, and anything in the middle, God uses to encourage other people. God uses your story, if you're willing to share it, to draw people closer to him. So here's the third one. Be ready and willing to share it. Now, that's going to cause some tension in the room, right? Because you're like, I got my get-out-of-jail-free card. I'm good for me. But I'm encouraging you. Think about Jesus sending or coming to die on the cross for you. It wasn't just for you. It was for others. And so I think about my kids up here, Riley and Anna Claire. I think about some of our other kids over here. I think about James as a fifth grader. I think about our middle school and high school students in here. I want you to understand. Listen, I'm not asking you to like memorize a list of, of statements. I'm asking you to get comfortable telling people about who God is and what he's done in your life. And the only reason, only way you're going to be able to do that is if he's working in your life. You can't tell a story that you don't know. It'd be like me trying to tell you about a new movie that just came out that I've not seen. You would pick up on it really quick that I don't know what I'm talking about. And so if you want to tell the story about God's redemption in your life, you better get real about wanting to know your story and be willing to share it with others. Because that is what Jesus came to die for. For us to be the mission of the church, for us to take the name of Jesus to the nations. And that starts in your own home, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your school, in your community, throughout. So gotta be willing, ready and willing to share it. Think about our story. This, this thing about, about putting it together in your insert right there. Putting your story to tell. There's five basic parts. And if you'd like to know some of these, I'd be happy to share with you, go in more detail. I'll send them to you. We can meet after or, or another time. I'd love to meet you. We can meet on Fridays at a coffee shop. Um, here's the first one. It's the opening just understanding like who, like who you are. Begin to, begin to think about what your life revolved around before you knew God and what he, what he used to draw you to him. And then begin to think about what did your life look like before Jesus? Who were you before you trusted in Christ? Where did you get your security or your happiness from? How did those things begin to let you down? What drew you to him? And then thirdly, how you came to know Jesus. Right, like when was the first time you heard the gospel? Begin thinking about that, putting it in a conversation way that you get to tell somebody about. Here's my initial reaction when I heard the gospel for the very first time. Here's the person who shared it with me. Here's what, how I responded when I heard it. Here's some of the struggles that I dealt with at the beginning. Here's when I finally decided, because that's what comes next. Here's the fourth one. Your life after coming to know Christ. How's your life different now? Begin to list some specific changes in your character, your attitude, your perspective. What motivates you? What do you live for? Even though your life is not perfect, even though my life's not perfect, how does knowing Christ help me deal with that fact? The fact that we can run to God just like Nehemiah did and said, I am a sinner. God, would you please forgive me? And he's faithful to do so. And then the fifth one is the closing. Just ending with a statement or two that summarizes your story and connects everything back to this idea about you wanting to know and follow Jesus. 
I share with our students um, that ultimately your story matters because it's God's story. But here's the deal, and this is what I love. I don't share my story for me. I don't share it out of my own ability. Scripture's clear that we come to know Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit, and we become his messengers. We become his ambassador. And we don't have to muster up the courage. Uh, the Apostle Paul uh, wrote to the, the church in Corinth in, in, in 1 Corinthians, uh, Corinthians chapter 5, he says, I didn't use big words. I was plain in my speech. I didn't try to, I didn't try to talk you into anything. I simply preached the gospel. And guys, I want to encourage you. Just as 1 Peter 3, 15 through 16 says, it says, if someone asks about the hope that you have as a believer, be ready to explain it, but do it in a gentle and respectful way. And in everything we do and say, it ought to be in gentleness and with respect. And so as we do that with working unto the Lord and not on our own ability, we do it in a way we tell the story as we're seeing what needs to be done, we begin to tell our story and meet needs around us. Check this out. As a church, during the month of September, we've been talking about this Go campaign. Check out how this works. Watch how this connects. We have to obey God's word. It's one thing to hear it. It's one thing to know it. It's a, dev- a different thing to obey it. Did you catch it? It's one thing to hear it. It's one thing to know it. It's a different thing to go out and do it. To obey God's word. Matthew 28, 19 through 20 says this, go, for, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So the month of September, we've been going and we've been praying for our neighbors. And listen, today's September 30th. You still have time to pray for your neighbors. Next month, starting tomorrow, during the month of October, we're going to we're going to transition from praying for our neighbors to going and being intentional in our going. We're going to be um, hanging um, bags on doors and, and just asking God in the neighborhood that we've gone and prayed for and for the people that we prayed for just to receive that and allow God to work. And we may get the opportunity to have a conversation. Are you ready? Are you ready to tell your story? Are you ready to give an account for the hope that lies within? Are you willing to do that? You may, you may have the opportunity just to meet a need. You may, you may come up to somebody's door and, and they say, hi, how are you? Or they may say, get off my porch. Uh, but either way, either way, you may come across a need that you get to meet. And so I want to encourage you as we begin to do this, as we begin to go intentionally, be praying, asking God to give you the opportunity to share your story, to meet a need, and to go. I think about as I was thinking about preaching, I had something I wanted, I thought I was going to preach a few weeks ago. And, and then I, I just hit me. Do you see it as a church? Do you see how God has been working with kindergartners through fifth graders, talking about initiative, about working with all things unto the Lord. And then when we work all things unto the Lord, not for ourselves, when we take initiative, when we begin to see a need, we are given the opportunity to meet a need and share our story. That's what our students have been doing. And then watch this. When we do it in a way that's gentle and respectful and we obey God's word, when we go and he gives us the opportunities to meet a need and to share our story, we have the opportunity to obey, to go, to baptize, to teach. So as we close this morning, I want you to understand that Jesus died on the cross not just for us. 
I think about all the parents in the room of the kids. We've got, we've got moms and dads in here. We've got step parents. We've got single parents. We've got grandparents raising kids. We've got friends helping parents raising kids. This is my favorite Sunday because I get to see the church together. By the way, we have a preschool area over here that needs a few more volunteers to love. No, I'm just kidding. And if we don't get the volunteers, we're bringing them in here next week. I'm just kidding. Now, I, I want to encourage you with this, that if you've received the gift of life, then our very, to the deepest core, our very simple desire as a parent, as a neighbor, as a friend, as a stranger even, ought to be to give the gift of life to others. Not because of who we are, but because of what Jesus has done in and through us. As our kindergartners have learned about Nehemiah, they're looking for ways to do just that. To meet a need and do it. As our students grow, they're going to become more familiar with their story. and They're going to want to do it. As a church, adults, I'm talking to you now. Begin to set the example now of what it looks like to go. So that our students and children have an example to follow. I hope you'll go with us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, you are so good. <laughs> Lord, in, in, in the midst of our stuff, in the midst of our selfishness and desire to do things the way that we want to do them, Lord, you continue to love us faithfully. And as Nehemiah said, Lord, we are a people of sin. We have let you down time and again. But Father, you at no point turned your back on us. Father God, you continue to pursue us relentlessly because we matter. God, our students matter. Our children matter. Our adults matter. Father, we have people in this room this morning, they don't believe that. They're not sure if they matter. And God, I pray right now where they sit that you would impress it upon their heart like a stamp on an envelope that they would feel it and know it and trust it. That maybe today, today would be the very first time that they would trust in you as their Savior. God, if that's them, I pray for courage to say yes to you. And God, that they would faithfully say, I want to give my life to Jesus. Father, whether, whether they come down front in our response time or they find us in the lobby after, or they ask the neighbor sitting next to them, would you help me know what it looks like to love and to trust and to follow Jesus? I pray that that person would have the ability and the willingness to be ready and willing to share their story. God, help us not to be a people who just show up during the week on a Sunday to not get prepared to go out into the week to make a difference. Help us to be a people who show up here together to encourage one another to worship you to hear your word to allow it transform us from the inside out so that when we go into our week we are set afire god that we are set ablaze to go out and do great things in the name of jesus not caring about who gets the credit but that god we would simply obey as we go Father, I pray that if, if there's a, a person here this morning, they just need to be prayed for. They, they're just going through some things. I'll be down front. God, I, I know Randy's there in the back. And Lord, I would count it such a privilege and a pleasure to be able to encourage someone, to be able to pray for them. Not because I've got it all figured out. I don't. But I serve the one God who does. And so as we live out our story and it points all back to you, 
God, I pray this morning it would be all pointed to you. As we respond today, I pray that we would do so obediently. So in Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. I'll be down for